Life is fragile and unpredictable. Our world is volatile and our hearts feel vulnerable. It's time to face it. In one way or another, we all have fear. Fear is something that we come by naturally, but it's not our spiritual inheritance in Christ. So while fear clamors and rages in our world and in our hearts, the words of Jesus ring out deeper and more true. Do not be afraid. So what if our freedom comes not by suppressing our fears, but by bringing them to light? What if the opposite of fear isn't courage, but love? And what would it look like for that love to cast out all fear? Let's explore these questions together. Let's learn what it means to fear not. Good morning once again online. Hello in the room. Hello. Uh, it's so good to be talking to you this morning. So this is week three of our Fear Not series already. Um, if you missed the, the first two messages, I really encourage you to go back and listen. You can do that on the podcast or YouTube or Facebook. Or you could probably call Brett and he would probably recap the whole thing right there on the phone. Um, but wh whichever way you choose to do it, go back and, and catch up on this series because it has been so timely for right now. So today, we are going to continue this discussion on fearing not by looking at one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. One of the most famous chapters. It's from Habakkuk. I'm just kidding. It's, it's Psalm 23. You may have heard of it. You may have seen it stitched on a pillow or crocheted on the wall and hanging in a frame. Um, but when we look at this chapter today, I think that we're going to be able to engage it in a new way. And we need to remember something about this psalm. Well, about all the psalms, but this one too, that it is a psalm. So it's a poem, or more accurately, a song, right? It is a song, something that would have been sung by these people, right? Written by David. But because it's a song, it's so rich and full of imagery and metaphor and beauty and truth and encouragement and probably even some challenge if we have ears to hear. And here's something that I hadn't seen clearly about this psalm before, and I hope that uh, this is, well, maybe you have seen it. But this psalm tells a story. It's kind of this, this narrative journey, an epic journey. It tells this tale that can, I think, speak to us all, especially about the ideas of fear and love. And we love epic tales of quests around here, don't we? So grab your cloaks and your walking sticks and your nerd glasses and activate your imaginations and let us journey into Psalm 23. So, so far we have learned that the opposite of fear isn't necessarily courage, but it's love. And we've learned that perfect love casts out fear. So what a dig into that more today. So the question today is, what can we learn from this psalm about love overcoming fear? What can we learn from this psalm 
about love overcoming fear. So to do that, um, we're going to break this, this psalm into four parts, okay? And just take it one chunk at a time. All right, so let's jump into Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Fear not, love provides. Fear not, love provides. I shall not want. That word for want right there means lack, right? It means I won't lack what I need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he's going to provide for me. But what is he providing here in this story, this psalm? Well, I think the first thing he provides here out of his love is rest. And here's where I'm getting that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So let the words paint the picture in your mind's eye, guys, today. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's rest, the kind of rest where you feel at home and relaxed. And why do I say that? Because for a sheep, a green pasture, I mean, that's it, right? That's where you'd want to live. You want to lie down on the soft grass, and you want to eat their fill of it too, right? Well, there's a park that uh, we go to sometimes as a family, and uh, nobody really goes there very much. So <clears throat> it's this big park with a big field. And uh, so the first time we went there, the weather was perfect. Uh, it was nice and, and cool and breezy. Nobody was there. And so we brought our, our, you know, sports stuff and baseball gloves and everything and a big blanket. And we went out in the middle of the field and there's just one of those enormous old live oaks. You know, the ones that we have all over here. Uh, but it's just one big oak tree just out in the middle of the field. And for some reason, I really don't know why, we put on French music from the 1940s, like the kinds you would hear like backing up a silent film or something. I don't know. Um, but it just perfectly accompanied this, this little picnic we had. Um, and since then, the kids begged to go back there. They begged to go back there. Can we go to the tree park? No, that's not what they call it. The French park because of the French music. And when we go, they want the French music. But when we're there at this park, for some reason, we all just switch into rest mode, into ease mode. And we're just relaxed. We're just very present. We're just sitting in the grass and resting. So the picture we get from this psalm is like that. A sheep completely at rest in the greenest pasture. And think about this. If a sheep can rest out in an open pasture, then it would have to know that it's safe, right? Safe from attack. It's like when you pet a dog, and dogs are, you know, highly domesticated animals at this point in history, right? So they like to be scratched on the belly or the neck. That is not something a wild animal would do, right? Because here, let me expose my belly or my neck to two places where something could attack me and, and kill me dead, right? But 
A dog, they like that. They are at rest when you're scratching their neck. They don't feel a threat. That's the type of rest that love provides when love is conquering fear. Fear not, because love provides rest. Love also provides peace. In verse 2b, he leads me beside still waters. Still waters, and that's important. Still waters. Because think about this. Rewind, and let's look at sort of the history of water for the Hebrew people. At creation, it said the Spirit of God hovered over the dark surface of the deep, right? The unfathomable, twirly, swirly, stormy deep. At least that's how I picture it. Then there was something with an ark and uh, uh, Noah. What was that? Oh, yes, the worldwide flood that covered the earth and took everything out except for what was on the ark. And then there were droughts. That's a lack of water, right, kids? which caused famine and starvation. And then there was parting of the raging Red Sea and even the rivers that were in the way of getting to the promised land. So my point here is that waters so far in the story of the Hebrew people were not very still. They weren't very still waters. And we know that water can be devastating and dangerous. But what David writes here in his song is in stark contrast with that. He writes that the shepherd leads him beside still waters. Waters that are life-giving and essential, peaceful waters. And you know what that's like, right? Why do we go to the water? Why do we do that? Why do we go to the pools and the ponds and the rivers and the lakes and even the ocean? Why do we go and sit and look at them for hours and bathe in them and play in them? Because we're not afraid of still waters. There is peace there. Fear not, because love provides peace. Verse 3a, love provides restoration. So these green pastures, these cool waters that we're seeing in our mind's eye now, they're not just to provide us the rest and peace that we need. They do something better than that, something deeper than that. It says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Resting like that, real rest, real peace, green pasture, still waters, takes your soul to a restorative place. Think back to a day you spent at the water with the blue sky and the green grass, and your soul gets filled up. It's filled up right? Kids, it's like if you're playing a video game and your health bar is really low and then you go and hide or you find something and your health bar goes whoop, it fills back up, right? That's what I mean. Your soul fills back up. And David is going to need that soul rest. We're going to need that soul rest as we journey through this psalm. So keep that in mind. And the end of verse 3, love also provides righteousness. So following the good shepherd to these places of provision, what it does is it grows our trust and relationship with him as we journey out from that place. Because as sheep, we don't live always in the green pastures and still waters, do we? 
well, that would be nice, but we don't. Sometimes we have to journey with our shepherd on the paths of righteousness, right? And by righteousness, I mean actual right living. And that's how it goes, by the way. That's the flow. The paths of righteousness lead out from the place of receiving the love of Jesus, from the place of love overcoming fear. That's what leads out to the paths of righteousness. It's not the other way around. So hear this. Right living comes from right loving. Right living, it comes from right loving. Right? So religion would say, behave righteously so God loves you, right? So you get the blessing, you get the favor. Relationship says, God loves me. And then righteous living is the result. That's the flow. The provision and the rest first. And then he leads on the path of righteousness. Fear can't get us on the path of righteousness. Love can. Did we hear that, church, nation, world, everyone? Fear can't get us on the path of righteousness. Love can. But here's the thing. The trust that's been cultivated between sheep and shepherd here, between us and Jesus, that's going to be tested. The journey on the path to righteousness is not going to be easy. We're going to have to leave the green pastures and the still waters. So moving on. Fear not, love provides. Next, fear not, love journeys. Love journeys. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Fear not, love journeys. So on this epic journey, we have left these simple shire-like pastures of obvious rest and peace. And then, bam, we're in the valley of the shadow of death that quickly. And that's how life is sometimes, isn't it? But guess what? The same shepherd that led us on the paths of righteousness is the same one that's with us here. Fear not because love goes with love journeys. Love never abandons even in the darkest places, especially in the darkest places. That's why David writes that he doesn't have to fear when the evil surrounds, when death surrounds. And maybe that's what this year may have felt like for some of us, like slogging through the valley of the shadow of death, right? This pandemic, the social unrest, the disruption in our lives, the uncertainty that's come from all of it, it's led to some deaths of all kinds. But we don't have to fear those things because he is with us. What if those uncertainties, hear me, what if those uncertainties are just opportunities to trust? What if some of the things that have died in this valley, like depending on lesser loves or clinging to the way we think things should be or being maybe way too comfortable, 
What if these things are good deaths? Deaths that painfully but deeply remind us that there's no reason to fear when Jesus is with us. And maybe the deaths that we wouldn't choose, the ones that we're really grieving, maybe they remind us of the same thing. Fear not because love journeys. Verse 4b, it said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Oh, that's an interesting phrase. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But no wonder Dave is not afraid, right? He has a Gandalf-like shepherd with a rod and a staff to protect him. But seriously, rods and staffs, you know, could be used to obviously, you know, like a walking stick, but also maybe to fight off attacking wild animals from the sheep. But here's what's interesting about this rod and staff. The Hebrew words here, the one for rod means a tool for correction, for discipline, for teaching. Okay? And we talked about the word discipline before, even recently, that that means teaching out of love, teaching from love. So rod here means a tool for correction, discipline, and teaching. And the word for staff means support or sustenance. Do you see now why David can write your rod and your staff, they comfort me? Because that is love. Only the best shepherd loves through both the teaching of correction and the support and nurture. Correction and support. That sounds like a good father, a good shepherd. Think of the best parents that you know. Think of the best parents that you know. Kayla says her mom. Brenda says her dad. There, you're both covered. Chris raises an arm of victory in the back. Okay, the best parents you know, they're probably shepherd their kids' hearts with both corrective teaching and nurturing support. Right? Corrective teaching and nurturing support. Like the good shepherd's rod and staff. That's true love. That's why we can say your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's love that overcomes fear. And what's interesting is the rod and the staff that are weapons against the enemies of the sheep are a comfort to the sheep. What's meant to strike the enemies is meant to teach and lead me. And speaking of enemies in the valley of the shadow of death, there are enemies in this valley that we found ourselves in. And we're not leaving here yet on this journey because something unexpected and maybe even miraculous is going to happen in this valley of the shadow of death. Do you know what's going to happen? We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a feast. And that shouldn't make sense. That shouldn't make sense at all. But our good shepherd is full of surprises. His provision and presence are in the green pastures and in the valley of the shadow of death, which begs these questions. What if the valley of the shadow of death is it's not just a place of survival? What if it isn't just a place to slog through until we get to the other side at some point? What if... The provision and presence of Jesus means that there can even be flourishing in that valley. 
And that sounds a little radical, right? Because when we're in that valley, when we're in that suffering or whatever it is, experiencing deaths of all kinds, we tend to look at that like, get me out of here. What's the fastest way I can get out of the valley of the shadow of death? But like Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas, they had to go through the land of the dead, right? They couldn't go around it. They couldn't go the other way. They had to go into the paths of the dead. And I tell you why, but we don't have time. And most of you know. So, <clears throat> so we have to go through the valley, but not just to survive it. We can actually flourish in the valley. And that sounds counterintuitive, and it is. So here's, here's what I mean. Let's read on to verse 5. Are we still in the valley? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Fear not. Love overflows. This is my favorite part. This is truly epic. We're in the va valley of the shadow of death, which represents the worst of the worst times. And not only are we surviving, not only are we provided for, not only is Jesus with us, we are thriving right there in the valley. This is like Bilbo's birthday feast, but not in the safety of the Shire like right there on the plains of Mordor. That shouldn't make sense. We can't relax and dine in that place. Or can we? Think of a really nice restaurant, right? They turn the lights down low. There are soft colors, usually like wood grain stuff, soft, beautiful music. The seating is comfortable. Because that's supposed to be the atmosphere for a beautiful feast not Mordor right or the valley of the shadow of death but you can picture it right we're in the valley now can you imagine a table prepared by Jesus can you imagine a table prepared by Jesus the bounty of nourishment from the bread of life himself can you imagine the drink menu from the one that turned water into 900 bottles of the finest wine? Can you imagine the extravagance of provision and love from the one who gave his life for us? All set out on a table right there in the valley. In the presence of our enemies. But here's where we need to pause when we talk about these enemies. When David wrote this song, they were still under the old covenant between God and these people, right? Which basically says, obey God and he'll bless you and defeat your enemies, in a nutshell. So under the old covenant, setting a table in the presence of my enemies would mean, ha, I'm provided for by the one true God, and you're on the outside, and you have to watch me feast in the valley that you thought was going to kill me, so you lose, because I obey God and he blesses me. But, my friends, we're, we're not under the old covenant, are we? 
We're not ancient Hebrews living thousands of years ago. We're under the new covenant that Jesus initiated. The covenant that says we will love God with everything we are and that we will love others the way that Jesus loves others. So as we sit at the banquet table in the presence of our enemies or outsiders, we do not gloat because we are included and they are not. Because that's not the story anymore, is it? Because at this table, under the new covenant of Jesus, there is room at this table. There is a place set for all at this table. There's enough here for all at this table. This is love overcoming fear. Hear this. Love for our enemies, overcoming the fear of our enemies. This is love for our enemies, overcoming the fear of our enemies. And then it comes to the part about he anoints our head with oil at this table. So that might sound kind of weird. Um, kids, maybe you guys have heard of that before. But if not, when something in the Bible is anointed with oil, that means they take some valuable, precious, fragrant oil and they pour it over something. They pour it out on top of something, a thing, or a lot of times someone's head. Someone's head. And the reason for this is to show everyone around that this thing or this person is to be set apart and be chosen and holy and blessed, right? And David, the one who wrote this psalm, he was anointed with oil by Samuel to be king. So here David writes that the good shepherd anoints our heads with oil. That means we are being set apart as the chosen and beloved sons and daughters of Jesus. But in the new covenant, in the Jesus way, we know that there is enough oil too. The whosoever would come to the table gets anointed as well. That they can become beloved sons and daughters too. Are we willing to do that? This is a real question. Are we willing to do that? Or do we still want the old covenant table? Like with those that we fundamentally disagree with about things that we really hold dear, our values, our convictions. Like in a way that makes your blood boil, that kind of thing. What about those who want nothing to do with God or feel like they're just fine without all of that? What about those who would seek to harm you in some way or your family in some way, emotionally or otherwise? Are we willing to pull out a chair and set a place for those people at the table? Or do we want the old covenant table? Uh, we're good. Us four and no more. Are we willing to share the bounty of love and grace of Jesus with them? Are we willing for our love for the other to overcome our fear of the other. Because the truth is that there is so much provision at this table right here in the valley, so much love that our cups run over. 
Fear not, love overflows. There's an overflowing in the valley of death, just like there was at the pasture. And we know then in the deepest places of our hearts that love has overcome fear then, and that love is now overflowing from us to any who would come to the table. And verse 6, fear not because love lasts. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy, or some translations go ahead and say love right there, shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is the end of David's song, his, his epic journey. The good shepherd has provided rest and peace, restoration and righteousness. He's journeyed with us and for us. And his love overflows for us so that our love can overflow for others. And in verse 6, we see that his love lasts. Look, look back at your year. Look back at your, I don't know, the past five years, this decade, your life. Where has the provision been? Where is your pasture and your still waters when you were in the valley of the shadow of death? Think about that. What has the overflow from him through you to others looked like? I promise you this, church, like David's ballad here, this epic story, your life is a story too. Your life is a song too. And although you don't know exactly when or where any of these things are coming, that you know this, that allowing the love of Jesus to overcome our fear, it's not just for those moments of fear. It is a way of life. Say that again. Allowing the love of Jesus to overcome our fear is not just for those moments. That is a way of life. Fear not because love lasts, follows you all the days of your life. The love of God that overcomes that fear, that is our legacy. That's our inheritance. It's something to pick up and learn and live with and go with. It's the beginning of the story and it's the end of the story. It's true in the green pastures and it's true in the valley. It overcomes the fear of our enemies and welcomes them to the table. It overcomes the enemies of guilt and shame and pride and sin by loving us down the paths of righteousness, by loving us into a life beyond fear where we're secure in the house of the Lord forever. Fear not, love provides. Fear not, love journeys. Fear not, love overflows. Fear not, love lasts. Love lasts. Band can come on up. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this psalm, that we have this psalm with us, that we get to know it, to learn it, to dive into the beauty of it, 
and the metaphor and the the truth in it. God, as we go from here in just a few minutes, I pray that we would keep keep listening to this psalm. Keep listening to your spirit as you work these truths into our hearts. God, I thank you that we have such a beautiful picture of love overcoming fear out of your presence with us, your provision for us, the overflow for others, and the legacy and inheritance of love that conquers all fear. God, is something that we get to own, that we get to live that way. That it's not just for moments where we need the courage to do something or decide something or whatever it is, but it is a way of life. Teach us how to make love overcoming fear a way that we live. And what a testimony of your love for this world that would be for someone to live like love overcomes fear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.